Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Dubai Stars. Today my guest is Mohammed Marwan. Mohammed, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Anthony. It's a great being here. Uh, Mohammed, for the guys who might not know who you are, give us a quick introduction about yourself. Okay, so uh, my name is uh, Mohammed Marwan. Uh, I usually go by the name Marwan. Everybody knows me as uh, as Marwan. Only my mom calls me Mohammed. Uh, so what do I do and how do I define myself? Um, I go usually with the title, I'm a business architect. This is, this is what I do, what I've been doing all my life, working in businesses, uh, consulting, leading uh, organizations and team to design uh, a better business uh, from a technology perspective, organization, capabilities and processes and so many other things. So this is what I've, uh, what I've been doing, and this actually is my passion, is to build businesses, uh, taking them from a smaller scale to a much uh, bigger one, uh, and I hope I'm, I'm doing well in that. That's amazing. And Mohammed, you are the author of the book, You're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat. Yes. <laughs> Before we get to the book and discuss this journey, first of all, we want to get to know uh, how did you come to Dubai, why Dubai, and how old were you when you came to Dubai? Okay, okay, that's an, that's an interesting one. So the first time I actually I came to Dubai was in October uh, 99. Wow. On a uh, transit business trip for two days. I was going to uh, do a project in another country, and I had to meet the, the senior consultant over here for two days. It was my first, day fly, uh, first time flying from Cairo to, uh, to Dubai. And uh, it was different. Of course, it was totally different than the Dubai that we know now. But it was also different than some of the other countries that I've been to at, at that time uh, as well. And my first impression was, was positive. And then I came uh, a few times uh, until uh, around 2004 when I started leading consulting services for uh, an ERP solutions company. And then I came here more frequent on projects, meetings, and, and so on. And I really liked the, the place. Sometimes I came for uh, transit going to Saudi or Kuwait or other countries. Uh, and sometimes I came for, for extended projects. Um, and then my, I had this idea in mind that it's, it looks like a good idea to go and live in this place. Uh, but there was no concrete plan that I had. It was just a, you know, a wish or an inclination. Um, and then in 2006, I joined uh, General Electric, GE, the, the great company. I joined in Saudi. And then um, due to some changes in the business and the leadership in Saudi, and looks like I did a good job over there as well, uh, they decided to move, me to, the, to move me to the head office in the Middle East. And this is where I became a permanent resident of Dubai, end of 2006. This is, where, this is why, why Dubai. <laughs> now, since that time, it has been a second home, almost now uh, 15 years. Uh, two of my three kids are born here. God and uh, yeah, it has been uh, it has been a great journey for the last fifteen years in this beautiful city. Guide me. How was uh, your first experience and and the work environment in Dubai? We know it's not very similar to other places. There's okay. something different in here. So guide me. How was your first experiences in here? And how did you cope up with the city and the style? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was different. Um, not in a negative way at all, but sometimes it might be, or it might have been too much to absorb, you know, from the first, uh, first encounter. Um, what I think I did well is just to uh, sit down and observe, 
this multitude of uh, people, nationalities, cultures, um, even the type of, of devices okay, that are used over here over the last 15 years, they're not as, um, as diverse as you find in other, other countries. Uh, but what was, um, I think, you know, sometimes when you, uh, when you have more experience in life, you go back and understand why was it really a nice place. Because I was always a person who's open to other cultures, even from my um, studies, my bachelor degree at the American University. It was a very uh, diverse place compared to a uh, more local culture in Egypt. Um, I like this, this diversity. And I turned it uh, the, the other way around, is that, okay, it's not stressful at all to deal and interact with all of those different cultures. No, just go for it, uh, be yourself, learn from all the other cultures. Uh, sometimes we see other people as strange, but they also see us as strange as well, okay? So it was more of a learning experience, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, um, in one of my uh, jobs over here in, in UAE, the team that I led and the other you know, extended team in the Middle East and Turkey, uh, I remember I had 16 nationalities, wow. okay? Managing United them. nations. Uh, more <laughs> or less, yeah. But I, but I think the, the mindset that you have living in Dubai... Um, calibrates your mind or configures your mind automatically to deal with this diversity. Yeah. So it's the same thing that, you know, my, my kids at school, they also have uh, a mini United Nation over there uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, they're friends from all over the world. So, um, yeah, the, the diversity part of Dubai at the beginning, it was uh, positively overwhelming. But then it became a lifestyle. Yeah, it's beautiful because like you will be fit to be living anywhere on the planet without being feeling as a stranger. Because like in here you get to learn this multiple cultures and uh, traditions and uh, the celebration that we have. Like almost like every week there's a celebration for a nationality. So it's like once you get to learn the stuff, it's something beautiful. Uh, exactly. I mean, I always um, remember this feeling the first time I went to Times Square in New York. It was like uh, 2010, I think, and somehow it felt like Dubai. As different as they may seem, but just sitting there in Times Square with the whole world around you, uh, there's lots of similarities with being in Dubai. Same in London, it's like you feel you're at home when you're in Dubai. Excellent. Amazing, Marwan. I'm going to call you Marwan. I'm going to sure. give Mohammed for your mom. <laughs> Let's yes. go with Marwan. Exactly. So uh, tell me, what was that inspired you? Or how did you get the idea to be writing a book? Mm -hmm. uh, great one. Uh, the first, uh, I wouldn't call a book, but the first thing I wrote was uh, when I was eight years old, it was a short story about pirates. Okay. Okay. So it looks like there was you know, something between writing and, and me. And by time, uh, although by, by studying, uh, I'm an engineer, okay? But I also had uh, minor studies and parallel studies in philosophy, anthropology, history, and, and so on. I like the scientific part, but there was always you know, a part in me that's looking for you know, other areas to integrate this, uh, this knowledge. And I used to write in some magazines at the university and, and so on. So looks like writing was something that I'm, I'm passionate about, but um, frankly, I didn't have time for it. So I focused on reading. You know, this was uh, this was much much easier, and I would say I'm a very uh, 
what you call, um, I'm a high consumption reader, okay, I, I read a lot, uh, I love reading, listening to audiobooks and, and so on. And uh, for the last maybe, what, four or five years, I had this nagging idea that I have so much stories to tell uh, from career perspective, uh, life perspective. Um, I was lucky that I, I visited more than 29 countries. Okay, so I always have stories from uh, business-wise and, and so on. And I wanted to get this somehow in writing, but in a structured way. As usual, you know, we, we always uh, delay things later. There are always other priorities and so on. Until I had this um, idea about, uh, and this came like three years ago, uh, how about writing something about the future, a way to think about the future, and what thinking skills do you actually need to think about the future? That was the question I had. I mean, is, is anybody equipped to think and imagine and construct a specific future? Um, the answer from my side was no. You need to be prepared somehow to prepare yourself to think about this future. And this is where the idea of the book came, which was mainly about scenario thinking and how to think about uh, the future in a structured way, in an amusing way, entertaining, and mixing different disciplines together. I find it it's like an amazing question, and it's also scary, mm -hmm. because we don't know where we're heading, yeah. and the way we're seeing stuff, we're feeling like now, in a way, which is the artificial intelligence, it's coming into multiple industries, we're seeing now... Even in Expo, like recently, I've been seeing robots that will guide you, escort yes. you, talk to you. Yes. I feel like, you know, when we were seeing those movies 20 years back about mm -hmm. the flying cars and the robots and stuff, gradually it's happening. Yes. So I don't know what I feel towards that. Mm -hmm. If this is going to be life in the future, if it's exciting for me, if it's scary for me, I really have mixed emotions about this one. But I would love to hear from you like, what are your thoughts on this one? Where do you see life is heading? How we're heading as a human being, like as the species, how it's come developing? Okay, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, the, sometimes we, we, I agree with you that, yes, we get scared when we see things are changing at a certain pace where we're not ready for it, or we assume that this magnitude of change is really big. But I found that part of that is that we look at a, a smaller snapshot of history, like uh, looking at the, at the COVID crisis, for example. Of course, it was a major uh, thing that happened over the last two years. But again, this is just a very thin slice of history. Okay? If you go some time back and you see what happened for over you know, six years of World War II, or other uh, pandemics that happened, or other catastrophes, or major changes in, in history as well, uh, we find that those two years were, were not actually a very big deal compared to other people, just like you and me, who have lived in much, much worse uh, situations. So this is, you know, one, one perspective. The other perspective is that, again, throughout all of those crises and, and tough situations uh, over thousands of years, um, History is telling us that human beings have survived. Now, uh, what was the extent of damage? What was the extent of uh, you know, uh, being healthy and luxurious and so on? It's always different. And in the same way, uh, a disease might have made all of us uh, panic, okay? Or might have wiped some nations 
hundreds of years ago. Um, there are definitely elements of risks with big changes like um, artificial intelligence, socially assisted robots, and, and so many other things coming up. When you look at the applications, uh, you definitely feel, uh, feel threatened. And like any change, I believe there are many areas that you can cope with, with this change that is coming. There was similar fear when industrialization was introduced maybe like, what, 100 years ago? But still, other people, they started to do other things and so on. Perhaps what is different about this time is um, human beings need to upgrade their cognitive abilities, okay? Um, there are so many parameters of, of, you know, or let's say perspectives of complexity happening. The role of AI, the role of technology, the loss of jobs, uh, financial situations, uh, cryptocurrencies, and, and so many other parameters and variables that it doesn't, it doesn't look like the typical uh, person will be able to handle with all of those complexities. Okay? Uh, it is becoming much more complex and ambiguous than before. So long story short, I believe the main challenge is going to happen. How powerful or what is the what is the horsepower of your brain and your personality, of the way you see things? Uh, how do you contextualize what is going on, what is happening, what will happen? And define your plan in all of this. Um, some might think that this is not the time for planning anymore. Things are changing very quickly. But that's, uh, that's you know, not very much a helpful situation. Because if you don't have a plan, then you know, you're lost anyway. Uh, and this is where you know, part of the book is talking about is it doesn't have to be like a totally solid plan, day-by-day schedule thing. But what are those probable or plausible scenarios that will happen in the future? And how are you ready for every one of them? Adapt to changes. Uh, this is part of it, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. I mean, adaptability, we, we always think that, yes, we have to be adaptable, and we keep on repeating this. But if you really don't have a clear idea about what are you adapting to, or how will this future look like so that you start your adaptation, uh, you usually miss it. It's, it's a basic thing, but this is what, what many people miss. Uh, in my industry, we've been having tons of changes, mm-hmm. especially from the tech side, from the CRMs we're using, from the portals, from the stuff. And every time we get something new, we're like, oh, it's super annoying. But then after a month, we're like, oh, this is super helpful. I cannot live without it. This this part is being covered. Uh, what I want to ask you about is like humanity in general. Uh, nowadays, what I'm seeing is like no one is living the moment. Mm-hmm. They're living the social media is like, for example, you go to a restaurant, you will see six people on the table. Each one is holding his phone. No one is talking to each other. And then it's like when the food comes, everyone is rushing to take the picture of the food and to post it as a story yeah. or as a reel or as a regular post. And then they will be basing their happiness about the number of likes and comments that they will get on this post. More than then enjoying the company of each other and having a nice conversation. This is the changes what I'm talk- telling you about, which is I'm seeing people being unhappy all the time because nothing is enough. Yeah. 
And this comparison that someone is comparing their life to, let's say someone is in level one or level five and he's comparing a life for someone who's level 50 and just seeing like how these guys are living and how they are not living, it's getting people into depression. Mm-hmm. And now you more you feel like people are not attached emotionally or anything anymore like like it used to be. And this this is the side where I'm telling you like if it's gonna continue to be life is going for the tech or the AI or all of this stuff controlling our lives. Mm-hmm. I will not be surprised if there will not be any human interaction anymore. If a human was just being like putting their orders from an iPad or a keyboard just uh-huh. for this robot to be serving them or doing whatever they need to do. So this change, which is like the euphoria that we take from humans, from a nice conversation with a friend or a nice dinner with a spouse or your kids or whatever. Okay. If it's this getting like disappearing, mm-hmm. where are we heading as a human? Okay, okay. I really hope it's not too complicated. No, to not at all. No, and, and it's a difficult question to to answer because um, let me address it from maybe two two or three points. The the major change that has happened with uh, with technology, uh, social media, AI devices, the internet, whatever, is that it has given an unbelievable rise and easiness to accessibility. Being able to access anything. Information, access friends, uh, access text, access information. This huge transformation in accessibility, I think it what had affected our behavior at least over the last maybe 10 years. Okay, So the, the fear of, I think sometimes it's the fear of not being able to access whatever you want to access anymore, is what is driving our behavior. On, on one side. So this is one, the, the accessibility story. Now, is this going to continue? Um, there are no indications that it will stop. Okay? With, all what's, with all the investments that are being uh, put into technologies, platforms, uh, availability of data, monetization of, of data, um, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. However, what we have been taught from history as well is that there is usually a breaking point where humans usually say, come on, we have to just slow down here because this is not going in the right direction. Uh, this happened in, in many trends and many fronts historically, uh, politically, uh, history-wise, ideas, ideologies, and, and so on. Because you might think of the whole transformation that we're in now as an it's a new ideology okay and we're just uh yes we got the best out of it look at the advances in technology in healthcare and communication there is a, a very very big positive side to all the digital transformation that we've been through now it is affecting our um, our brains um, we don't have the same peace of mind anymore like what you said the interaction the human to human interaction is is getting less um one of the interesting ideas I came through uh, recently is um, will there be courses or curriculums coming soon on being emotionally intelligent with an artificial intelligence, okay, instead of being emotionally intelligent with a person? Because, you know, you are dealing with entities, this new AI robot, whatever you call 
it software okay uh, yeah you need to handle uh, it in the right way and you have to be emotionally intelligent or artificially intelligent or whatever you you call it uh, so um, i wouldn't say we don't have a uh, definite answer now there are many red flags being raised um, we're not paying much attention yet this is what i'm what i'm seeing uh, but hopefully we get to the point where we put the brakes we're not going to stop it because life has changed there is the, the you know the train has left the station but there are ways to put the brakes on all of this and see what what is best for us and our kids and their future and you know let's see but it is it is a scary future i mean like few days back facebook instagram and whatsapp were down for a few hours and the planet freaked out i got phone calls from friends asking me if my insta is working i'm like no It's, yeah. it's, it's worldwide like that. Mm-hmm. It's okay, rest yourself, talk to your friends or family. You know, they're nice people. Yes. Get to meet them again. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, I think what, what the, um, the, the good lesson here is that, yes, of course, uh, many people freaked out and it impacted businesses and so many other things. I mean, if you calculate the cost of the damage, it's, it's not small by any means. Uh, but the other side is that uh, life went on. Okay. That's There was a few saying, hours of outage. Yes, there were losses, but life went on. It's, it's not the end of the world in, in any way. It was a good break, you know. Uh, I enjoyed it personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It was, a, it was a very good, uh, good break. I would like to know your thoughts about, uh, first of all, the banking system that we have right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? And your thoughts about this is being gone and moving totally to crypto whatever the, the coin is. Okay. Can you tell me more about this too, please? Um, I'll, I'll start with, um, with a story about, um, you know, about Nokia, the, the company that we all know. And even before this loss they had in terms of the smartphones and so on. But if you look at the history of Nokia itself, Nokia was actually uh, a company that produced paper. Okay. Why did it produce paper? Because it was in the communication business. And this was like early 1900s. And uh, their shift towards telecommunication and phone lines and and so on is because they said, we are in the communication business producing paper, so why don't we go into the communication business and work on telephones and technology and and so on. Now, why am I saying this? Because uh, banks are in the, let's call it, uh, in the financial services business. And whatever means that are there to provide financial services to uh, people or companies that's make it easier like B2C or, or B2B uh, many of them will have the guts to charge to start changing significantly the first change that happened was this move to digitalization of their services and many of those banks are now like a benchmark in terms of their digital services and some of them are over We don't hear about them anymore because it looks like it was too costly for them to to change. I believe the second wave is going to be a mix of of uh, you know um, different trends or like what they call confluence of trends. One is the digital coins and the cryptocurrencies and and so on. This is one one trend. The other one that for some reason people are not paying attention to is the rise of the fintech industry, especially on the retail side and crowdsourcing and uh, you know, giving loans without passing through banks and, and so on. If you just look at those two trends and what are banks doing about them, uh, 
Many banks are really thinking seriously about their future. What is it exactly? Okay. Um, they, some are enjoying the luxury of regulatory uh, protection, okay? but this will not survive for a long time. And I think the example that uh, El Salvador did by having the, the, uh, the cryptocurrency as an official means of payment is one indicator. Okay? Now, will this happen too fast? I don't think so, because the infrastructure of the banking system is too complex to just you know, change over, over a few months or a few years. Uh, but I do believe that many of the banking services that we see now, especially on the retail side, is going to transform into something completely different. The, 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 the accessibility that fintech is offering masses, we're talking about uh, millions of consumers, especially in big markets like India, for example, will definitely change the, uh, the banking industry. There is, there is no doubt about this. The, uh, the move to cryptocurrencies and digital coins might be a bit more complicated because of the regulatories from the central banks. Uh, it's, it's definitely a big change from like the change that happened from the gold standard to dollar in the 70s. This is by far a much bigger change. So, you know, let's see what is, what is going on. But from discussions with many people in the banking industries, there are serious discussions about what are we going to do in five years' time. And five years is a short period of time. So they're, uh, I wouldn't say worried, but they're serious about it. Marwan, I've been hearing something. It's really, I cannot work my head around it. So I'm going to ask you as a specialist. They say that the word debt is God knows how many trillion. Mm-hmm. Who do we own the money to? Okay. Uh, it's um, it's another it's another difficult question, but actually, you know what? I the the question that I'm asking myself is, um, why isn't anybody putting the brakes on the number? And we always know the uh, uh, the annual um, meeting in the U.S. about elevating the the, the ceiling of the debt. Uh, not like a few millions more or a few billions. It's like notching it up a few trillions more. And it happens. It passes. And, you know, nobody's, uh, nobody's amazed about it. And it just goes, goes on. Um, to whom do we owe this money? The, what's happening behind the scenes in the, in the whole, what do you call it, um, uh, let's say debt supply or cash supply, is an extremely complicated scene, okay? From uh, private institutions, government institutions, uh, banks, you know, it's a, it's a mix of, that's not easily understood. Now, there are definitely um, groups who are benefiting from this short term because there is a supply of cash with a certain interest rate. You get the money again after a few years and then you exit this, this part and, and so on. The system will continue to work this way until something dramatic happens. Every now and then we hear you know, from the, the prophets of crash that the crash is coming, crash is coming, crash is coming. But uh, it actually doesn't, doesn't happen. looks like there is more space in the system to absorb the, um, the astronomical level of debt that you're currently uh, referring to. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that this will continue for a long time because... Um, 
maybe very soon it will reach a very ridiculous level, okay, that um, many of those debtors will start asking for their money short term. The mechanism between you know, countries printing money and borrowing debts and, and you know, the, 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 the vicious cycle of uh, local currency and hard currency and, and so on is, might not be valid anymore. We have seen countries where bad government practices, when they borrow from their local banks, they end their economy into an abyss. Okay, So there are a few examples recently where, okay, there is no global failure, but there is big local failure. Now, when will the, this thing reach a chain reaction where the whole system might collapse? I think we still have, still have a longer time. But what really worries me is that, I don't want to say that nobody cares, but it's not looked at from a, as a very serious problem, okay? Um, and there is, there is a trend to focus on countries' debts and, and so on. If you look at the other side, which is the corporate debt, many of the big multinational corporations, if you look at their balance sheets, there are some terrifying figures over there. Okay? And those are not necessarily owed to governments. They're owed to private institutions as well. But the cycle of business enables them to continue. Uh, it's a question mark, what is the sustainability of, of this whole thing? But on this side, uh, I'm, I'm worried about the, the whole debt story. The numbers are, are terrifying. The inflation. Uh, I've been seeing now during this uh, pandemic, like, Governments are just printing and pouring incentives, millions, yeah. billions, trillions. And I don't know what's happening to the currency, but I know for a fact, like, the bill is not holding the same value as it was before. And we have seen minimum 3.5% of inflation. Mm -hmm. How are these governments supposed to take that money back? Is it by raising taxes? Is it by... How does it work? Um... I think the question here is, or it's not a question, it's an assumption. Uh, it's going to be somebody else's problem later. Okay, this is this is how I how I see it. The countries need an immediate solution to many of the problems that they have. There is no room for patience and sustainable long-term thinking and solutions to yes, okay, let's start fixing this. It's going to be tough, but let's start doing it. Some countries are. Some others do not have the same courage or do not have the, the means. And um, at one point in time, the system will not be able to sustain all what's, what's happening. Um, and usually this is not, I wouldn't say usually, but what I'm expecting to happen, that an external crisis will come somehow. It can be a climate thing can be um, you know, environmental, it can be uh, natural disaster, whatever, that hits the financial system in a way that it's not recoverable. And this is when the big question mark will come about the, the debt problem. But looks like as long as everybody's colluding, it will, it will stay alive for some time. But just one big external flow hitting the system, uh, I'm really worried about that. So you're telling me now, your cash, what do you prefer to do with it? Keep it liquid cash, 
invested into real estate or put it in gold or put it in mm-hmm. crypto? This is the question that I think 95% of the planet are asking, what should we do? And I wish I you know I, I knew the answer. Um, I just want your personal, what would you do? Yeah, one, one thing I've learned as well is that, yeah, sometimes... Um, People think, for example, okay, um, let's say property and gold, they are physical, they will not be affected. Even inflation happens, they will go up, so it's safe. But what the whole crypto story has taught us is that this assumption is valid if everybody agrees on the standard. But if someone changes the standard, which is a digital coin that doesn't necessarily have a, a physical backup, okay, then the whole game changes. And then even, I mean, who said that that gold is the safe haven? If we all decide tomorrow morning that gold is not actually valuable, the crypto is is the valuable one, the whole thing will will shift. So it's uh, it's an interesting time to see, you know, what is going on with the with the valuation. Who's gonna win the battle? <laughs> exactly. Uh, from again, from a scenario perspective, uh, it's. I think this is my, my I mean, I'm, I'm not an, uh, you know, a specialist in investing, but keeping the balance for some time until we see actually what is going on, um, a bit of partial in, in property, uh, a few bucks here or there in gold, um, unless you really know what you're doing with cryptocurrencies and so on, you can't keep some, some stock over there. Uh, and let's see what, uh, what happens. What I what I usually because by by the way my daughter asked me this question maybe a few months back she's starting you know to see that there is something going on in the world and those uh, articles talking about crypto and the gold and the dollar and and so on um, I tell her apart from all of this invest in yourself your learning your brain if everything falls apart this is what will save you yes the best yeah so just invest in your brain this is this is how i but if you want to pick between this four uh former one which one is the safest we have liquid cash we have gold we have crypto and we have real estate property from this four which is the safest one just uh, from by the way my personal experience which might be different for everybody just that you know uh, that's my own personal experience. I would go for uh, property, gold, cash, crypto. So property is the safest. Uh, yeah, if you're talking about safety, yes. And this was my personal experience. I was never, you know, um, uh, a very uh, audacious or risky investor. Uh, I worked my small investments this way, and it worked. So this is just you know my my advice and why I'm putting crypto at the end because I wouldn't say I understand it 100%. Uh, I don't have the um, the guts at this you know point of my life to start experimenting with it. Okay, I experimented with other stuff, of course. And and by the way, in terms of maybe there's something before uh, liquid cash, which is stocks. I would I would put this you know even before gold. Sometimes if you know what you're doing, I think over a long term it, it pays off. Uh, but with the uh, crypto, I'm looking forward, you know, to a phase where I'm saying, hmm, let's start experiment with this and see where it's, where it's going. Marwan, uh, fast forward from here, 20 years, your kids will be watching this episode on YouTube. What yes. would you like to leave them a message? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. The, um, 
maybe few, very few messages. Again, um, invest in your learning, invest in your brain. Um, always do the right thing and communicate the right way about it. It's not always enough to just do the right thing. Do the right thing and do the right communication uh, around it uh, as well. Um, education is what will set you free, you know, if we put it this way. And, um, uh, you know, I hope that all of us are still there 20 years from now when we watch this, uh, this video together. Um, the last thing is, you know, a quote that I always love from a philosopher that I adore, which is Bertrand Russell, the, the British uh, philosopher and scientist, is always look at the facts. Okay, that's, that's my advice. Marwan, thanks a lot. This has been amazing. Uh, you said lots of golden nuggets, as we say in here, and I hope the audience uh, will enjoy and resonate. Again, Marwan just released his book. You're going to need a bigger boat. They can find it on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, just Google it. You will see the book. And if anyone wants to reach out for you, we're going to share your contact details, sure. your email, and uh, your social media accounts. Anthony, thank you very much. I mean, this was a great discussion as well. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, people reach out to me uh, actually to learn from them. This is what I, I always do. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. And you've heard it, guys. Thanks a lot for watching this episode. See you in the next one.